Hey, this is Gerds Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Tundal and today I want to share with you someone who is helping people to heal from childhood abuse and trauma. Jana Wilson is an emotional healing educator, meditation teacher, hypnotherapist and the founder of The Emotional Healing System. She is the author of Wise Little One, Learning to Love and Listen to My Inner Child that led her towards a path of self-love and empowerment. Hi Jenna, I'm so grateful to have you on the show and thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Gerds. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm just grateful to have you on the show and just to hear what your life was like before you became an emotional healing educator. Oh, yeah. So where where to begin, right? (laughs) (laughs) So the journey to getting to where I am today, of course, was a very long one with lots of peaks and valleys. My I grew up in the South in the United States, very Southern girl. Um, They call it here the Bible Belt. It's very fundamentalist religion, Christian. And I grew up with two, of course, very emotionally stunted parents and a lot of developmental trauma in the first seven years and adverse childhood trauma. You know, there's a a quiz that's given with 10 questions and I answer yes to all 10. So a lot of, um, you know, early experiencing not just developmental trauma in those first seven years, but also intergenerational. My father's family were from Ireland. They immigrated here. There was a lot of alcoholism in that family. And um, it was just, you know, mom and dad knew each other from a young age. And, and my mom had lost her father as a, as a 12 year old. So she had that trauma to deal with. They get married And of course, they create more trauma for each other. My father was Mm -hmm. very abusive. Um, My mom was diagnosed with with bipolar. Back then, it was called manic depressive. And I remember that, actually, that that term being used quite a lot, even in the media as well, growing up. Yeah, manic, because the manic, right, was the high. I remember one time as a child, I was shopping with her and she shoplift. She was in one of her manic phases. And I remember when we left the store, I said, mommy, you didn't pay for that. You know, you, you have to go back. And she just kind of was in her own, you know, manic phase. So of course she didn't take the things back. So I was, you know, I was looking through this lens of these two very emotionally dysfunctional people and, and, you know, like we all do trying to figure out, you know, where's my place in the world? What is my value? I certainly didn't feel very valued, you know, when, when parents don't value themselves, how can they value their children? Hmm. I totally understand where you're coming from. It's very hard to know what joy is in that moment. You know, you're constantly living on eggshells. You don't really know who you are as a person and you're, you're kind of people pleasing and sacrificing your needs to make sure everybody else is okay, except for yourself. Right. And so that's what I did. I learned to be 
entertaining and cute and, you know, to really diffuse <laughs> situations, tempers and anger. And, and um, they used to tease me and say, I was going to grow up and be an actress, you know, but that was just an adaptation to the trauma. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And what was like the turning point for you then? So as you got older, when did you kind of make the realization like this was not normal? Like this is not what most families are like. Yeah, you know, I'm those first seven years are, are, you know, the foundation. And for me, I was getting a steady diet of a lot of chaos, a lot of fighting. Um, I walked in my father when I was about four years old, suffocating my mother with a pillow. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I, I experienced a lot of also sexualization um, at a very young age. And so I began to act out, right? I began to act out. And, but because I, I was, I was exposed to a lot of spiritual concepts and being in church, particularly when I was little being in church, but we went to like what in the U S like, you know, African-American, very gospel church. So they would speak in tongues, they call it, and they would you know, shout out and they would fall and get slain in the spirit. So as a little girl, I started to find a lot of solace and comfort in my connection to God. And it was, it helped me, right. It helped me start moving through the experiences that I was having and the trauma that I was experiencing. So the big, the first big wake up that I had was 12 years old. And I had a mystical experience where I was pulled out of my body. My dad was beating my mother. Our family was labeled white trash. Do you guys have those labels over there? We understand the terminology. Yeah, we we have that. We have a similar word. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we were, you know, living in a trailer, poor, taking money from the government. Um, My father was rarely around. So by that time, I was really starting to experience the stigma of those labels. Mm. And this experience was very traumatic. I got pulled out of my body. It was an out-of-body experience. Maybe some people call it astral travel. Could have been a near-death experience. I mean, certainly when a child's going through that amount of trauma, they feel like they're going to die. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um it was a pretty remarkable experience. And I always attribute that my awakening happened at 12 years old. And when I had that experience and, you know, Gerd, I'd look back at my, my, I could see my parents, I could hear the fighting, but I had an awareness and I was told those are not your parents and that isn't your life. So that spiritual awakening it really catapulted me. And I think it sent me on the trajectory of being who I am today, doing the healing, being a cycle breaker. Um, Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you were in your teens when you had like the aha moment. I was 12. You were 12. Wow. Wow. What did you do next then? Yeah. So I go to the church and I start telling them, you know, I'm having conversations with God way before Neil Donald Walsh did. (laughs) And these conversations, I'm like, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to go to heaven. God loves everybody. Like I started to really have a knowingness, you know, it wasn't coming from anything outside of me. It was coming from within me. 
because the experience was so profound and I, you know, I didn't believe it. I knew it. Like you don't believe you can ride a bike. You know, you can ride a bike mm-hmm. if you can. Right. Yeah. I think belief implies doubt and I had no doubt. And so of course they kicked me out of the Baptist church and said, okay, you're not welcome here anymore. <laughs> God. Gosh. Yeah. How Christian of them. Well, it's usually the thing, isn't it? When they don't know something, they're scared. So then they label you as something as a, as difficult in order of actually, instead of helping. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, you know, I forgot about that experience. I mean, it was kind of always in the peripheral. Like I, I remembered it, but you know, I'm a teenager. I just want to have fun. I want to party. I don't care. I wanted to, you know, run as far as I could away from that small provincial town and go to Miami to the big city. And, and I was the first in my family to finish high school. Wow. My mother didn't graduate high school. Yeah. My my father didn't, my brother, he received a GED, general education diploma. And I went on to college. And so I leave the small town behind, but of course it followed me, right? Because wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So all my trauma just came, you know, packing in my suitcase with me and I couldn't hide it. And it was, you know, in my face all the time where I compared and felt less than, of course, I was operating from false beliefs of I'm not good enough and I'm trash. And well, of course, when you believe that you behave that way, Mm. right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I began to act it all out and, and I was date raped my first semester of college. You know, I didn't even think to go to the police because, Hey, that's what happens to girls like me. Right. Wow. 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 Yeah. And, um, yeah, so then I, I, a series of events, you know, I call it grace. I think it's certainly, um, a divine appointment that the soul has. And I didn't understand that at the time, but a series of events happen. I'm in San Francisco. I was only 20 years old. I got a job with Maybelline cosmetics and I quit school briefly to take this job and a book fell off a bookshelf in San Francisco called you. And it was copywritten in 1935. And it had it had a chapter I'm looking at the book right now called law of attraction Hmm. in 1935. Wow. Wow. So I, yeah. So it just opened my mind and started to expand my mind. And then I got voracious. I started to, you know, when the student's ready, right. The teacher appears. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So then, you know, everything led me to, you know, the next teaching and Oprah, of course, had a lot of luminaries, a lot of thought leaders, um, especially in the eighties and nineties. And Dr. Brian Weiss was on there. You probably are familiar with his work in past life regressions. Yeah. 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 So I read many lives, many masters It I began just that book gave me this idea of what if Because when you're raised, you know, in religious Christianity, of course, in the West, we don't believe in reincarnation, but there was something in my soul that felt liberated when I viewed myself as a soul, number one, that experienced severe trauma. Yes. 
But that trauma then wouldn't define me. If I could look through the lens as, well, what if my childhood happened because maybe even my soul chose it, chose it for lessons, chose it to correct karma, chose it to, oh, well, maybe to do something special in the world. Maybe I went through all of that. And if I can heal it, I could help others. And then that was the game changer. Wow. I just want to say, I'm so proud of you for making those realizations because so many people would just carry on, you know, the same situations again and again. But here you are, you're like, okay, universe, I'm ready to listen or high power of God, I'm ready to listen. And I totally relate with what you're saying. I grew up in a very toxic environment. Um, I saw a lot of disturbing things from a young age. Um, and the universe was literally showing me little situations like you can heal, you can heal, but I was ignoring the signs. Um, I had a lot of like health conditions growing up. Um, I had like an eating disorder, I had depression, I had anxiety. And it wasn't mm. until I was 25 years old when I had a cancer scare and I was sat in the hospital by myself going, what have I done to deserve this? And I heard the I heard a voice say, say you created this. And I went, what? And I looked Ooh. around the room and there was nobody there. And I was like, oh, I'm probably going a bit loopy. There's something wrong with me, <laughs> as we do when we first hear our inner voice, right? And yeah. then I get my results. They misdiagnose me. And I walk out of the hospital crying and I hear, I hear the words, it's time to heal. And that was the shift for me. But it, it it had to be something extreme. I even had a car accident when I was 21 and I still didn't get the message. I had lots of different things happening in my life, but I wasn't getting the message. It's almost like when you have situations how we've grown up, you kind of need a big like bang for you to then go, oh, it's time for me to listen now. It's time for me to get the message. Is that how you kind of felt? Oh, absolutely. And I've learned as I've, you know, gained in wisdom and learned lessons that I don't have to create, you know, my next ascension, my next level through crisis and calamity. I could actually, you know, possibly do it through just choice. You know, I don't have to push myself, but certainly crisis precedes transformation. So it always feels like even in nature, I mean, even in the origins of the planet, right? Like, we we're at a fever a fever pitch right now collectively that you know in <laughs> crisis humanity's in crisis right and so i do believe that's what happens and the wake up is is the soul ready to hear right to come to because let's face it most people i think it was thoreau who said live lives of quiet desperation yeah they're not seeking you know because it's the unknown it scares the hell out of people it's like when you're faced with you know i can't even imagine being faced with a cancer scare and then having the awareness to hear the inner voice tell you you created this wake up you know i mean it's remarkable your story that well, that you, you could wake up out of yes that's it's it's so inspiring Oh, because, <laughs> yeah, I, you know who Mark Nepo is, the author of um, the book of awakening. I don't actually, it's a beautiful daily book that just, you know, it's one of those inspirational, like every day of the year and he had cancer and that's what woke him up. Oh, really? And, oh, wow. Yeah. 
And the Book of Awakening is just this beautiful guidebook for anyone. But one day he's talking about going into the MRI, his wife's holding his hands. And it's that moment where she has to let go. And he realizes this is a sojourn. You know, I've got to go through this. No one can walk this path for me. And, you know, I think about that a lot because certainly we're all connected, but we are, you know, individual individuations, say, of the creator, right? And so we are creating our own experience and this, you know, experience. And so I, I, when I say it's a sojourn, what I mean is I'm, I am responsible for my own awakening and to continue right to keep expanding my awareness expanding my consciousness keep looking at you know what's my next level for my soul but i believe that and i had a teacher teach me those teachings it comes from something called the michael teachings it's channeled material um just like abraham is with you know abraham hicks and and law of attraction and this teaching says Girds that there are infant souls on this planet, there are baby souls, there mm-hmm. are young souls, yeah. mature souls, and old souls. Yeah. So why did you and I have awareness? Why did I have awareness as a young child? I began to wake up. My mom's mental illness and having electroshock treatment was actually part of the recipe that helped me awaken. Because, yes, so listen to this. When someone goes through electroshock treatment, it rewires their brain. Hmm. However, it it can't be sustained if they don't change their environment. It's like an addict, right? You they come out of rehab and they go right back into the same environment, they're gonna fall back into old patterns. Yeah. So, and you know, I in looking at souls and soul age. I, my mom would come back from these and she would just pour into me kind of download. I mean, at eight years old, I was meditating, you know, I, yeah, I was learning (laughs) and, and, and now think about where I am, central Florida, very Bible belt, very redneck. We call it very oppressed, Mm -hmm. very black and white and good and bad and right and wrong. And and yet my mom would come home and she would be reading Carl Jung. She would be, you know, teaching wow. me, yeah, about near-death experiences and and reincarnation and just kind of pouring into me a lot of esoteric teachings. Wow. And and I believe that was because I am a early level old soul. You know, any of us who are, I believe, really putting out into the world a desire to make a difference in the world and leave the world a better place or old souls. Mm, I 100% agree with you on that. I think we go through all these situations for a reason so we can then help others to heal. I generally believe that. And it's not even that we're helping others to heal. When, when I say that, it's not like we're doing the work. We're just guides for other people to show them the way. Exactly. Because our presence will liberate them just by our mere fact that we've been able to share our story and share what we've done. Yeah. Right? That's why I wrote the book is I wanted to inspire people to say, hey, you might not have experienced trauma at this level. You may have experienced equally, maybe more. It doesn't matter the story of the past. It just matters. Are you going to take responsibility now and say, 
you know, maybe my soul chose all this, which means I must be a pretty badass soul. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and what am I going to do with it? You know, now what am I going to do with it? And how can I make life better? And going in soul age, you know, there's infant souls. They deal with survival. You, you ever wonder, you know, why were we so privileged to be born in the countries we have? And, you know, even though I was poor and stuff, I, I didn't have food deprivation really, or, you know, I still had my needs met. Yeah. There are places that that doesn't happen. And, and, you know, it's a mystery, but this teaching kind of it, for me, it set me free. And then on the soul keeps evolving because the creator gives us free will. And then we move on to um, baby souls. Babies have stranger danger, you know, children, Mm. they, they don't want to be with strangers. They want others that are like them that are familiar, right? Family, baby souls seek to make others like them. So fundamentalists, right? Religions, like every, you know, like I'll kill you if you don't believe like me, like, you know, it's, (laughs) so that's a baby soul. And so a lot of my family are baby souls. And and it was really hard because as I kept pulling away and growing and healing, a lot of friendships, family relationships fell away because they judged me. Mm. Yeah. I understand that hundred percent. When you're born into those situation environments, you are almost like the black sheep of the family and you are willing to change, but your surroundings aren't willing to heal themselves and you can't fix them. You can't save them. No matter how much you want to try, you cannot, you cannot do the work for them. They have to be ready themselves. And that is a hard pill to swallow when you're on that journey. But then, like you said, as you, you start to realize then, you know, you can't change that. And like, you have to accept that that's how they're going to be and just love them for who they are that way. And it it, it can be very difficult, but I've learned to accept that you can't change people. You can't save people. You just have to let people be and meet them where they're at. Right. And altitude, direction, and speed. I mean, not everybody's going to be at your altitude consciously, spiritually speaking. They're not going to be at the speed of growth that you've chosen. Your soul has chosen. And they're also... Um, you know, not headed in the direction, you know, I can't, I couldn't be friends with somebody who watches Real Housewives and, you know, (laughs) drink cocktail every night and only is, you know, kind of vapid. I mean, that just, it's my motto is go deeper, go home. You know, you want to be friends with me, we're going to (laughs) go, we got to get deep, right? Like, it's just, and of course, I love to be lighthearted and fun too, but um, I'm here for a purpose. And I went through what I went through for a purpose. And I just don't have time for a lot of that nonsense, you mm-hmm. know, that of um, that, say, a young soul. So then you go on to young soul. They're very materialist. You know, think of Kardashians. You know, America's a young soul country. Predominantly China is, according to this teachings. Uh, then you keep evolving. You go to mature soul. Mature souls are relationship oriented. And then you eventually end at old soul. And according to this teaching, which is really based in the Tao and Taoism, it says, you know, that we ultimately old souls begin to disconnect from the material game. They're in monasteries. They're in the Himalayas. They're somewhere. And this teaching helped me, Gerds, because I started to see like you said a moment ago, you have to accept people where they are. And I could perceive, okay, if I'm working with a client and they're 
you know, working on certain issues, I could kind of start to perceive like, okay, they're possibly this, this is not, their soul isn't ready to hear and to know what I'm sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And you have and to be kind to yourself when you're going through that as well. Mm-hmm. Because it can be a difficult yeah. pill to swallow, as I was saying, because you're like, but I've healed and I want to now help everyone and I want them to see what I've seen. But then they're like, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong with you. Why are you behaving that way? So it's like learning to accept that, yes, you may have healed, but it doesn't mean the people around you are ready to hear that message. And it might they might not be ready to hear that in this lifetime. And it's it's learning to accept that we are all on our own journeys and we have to allow people to to be on the journey where they're at, whether they are well, willing to heal in this lifetime or not. But I feel like a lot of people in the spiritual world sometimes kind of judge people. Oh, you haven't done the inner work. Oh, oh, yes. But people can only do it when they're ready. We can't judge people when, for not doing the work because they that, that kind of put the words, say the words correctly, but we can't judge them because who are we to judge them at their timeline? Like their timeline is with God, universe, higher power, just like our timeline. Exactly is the same yeah. so we can't judge other people's timings we just have to allow people to be and just make sure that we are working and focusing on ourselves and burying ourselves well yeah that's the only person that we can you know we have any control over is ourselves not others we're helpless over others but this teaching helped me and the re reason why i brought it up is because i would not get mad at a baby mm -hmm. or an infant or a toddler or a toddler you know just learning to talk trying to tell me what I should believe. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I would, I would just be like, oh, you know, it's so sweet. Like it really cares about me. It's trying to, but it, I wouldn't get mad at it. Yeah. Right. At the child, the same thing. I couldn't have a conversation with that child either about something that, you know, let's just say trigonometry or speaking a language that someone doesn't speak. I mean, you, you understand, oh, they're not going to get it. And so once we start to look through this lens that we're not higher or better or superior or more anything than anyone else, everybody, as you said, are on their own spectrum, you know, of consciousness where their soul is, is at. I feel my trauma was a gift because it certainly kept me awake and alert, you know, because I was certainly in survival, you know, most of my childhood and but then because I believe I am an older soul, I I was able to understand things that were beyond my years at a young age. And, you know, I'm not sure if it's because of my mother and my mother down, you know, maybe the contract, the soul contract with my mom and I and she was downloading all of this pretty deep teachings to me when she would come back from these hospital stints. I don't know if it was that I don't, you know, but I began to look at my mother who was in some ways a monster, just like my father, you know, she, she abused me more than my father ever did mm -hmm. as my teacher. And as what if she sacrificed, what if the abuser, the perpetrator, the person who did the horrible things to me was my teacher in awakening. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe that was her lesson. Well, or maybe that was her karma that she had to pay it off. And so in order to do that, you know, she became the mentally ill mother that abused her child, but her, but it helped her child wake up. Cause my mom, no one is inherently all bad. 
100%. We're not born that way. It's circumstances and situations um, that create that environment. Exactly. And so my mom, there were times when my mother was, you know, in the Indian pantheon of like goddesses, she was like Durga, you know, the ultimate mother. She was, she was the type of mother she would never, if my father was abusive to my brother and I, she would leave him. The problem was she kept going back to him because she had no self-worth. Mm. And then that, you know, of course I got conditioned that way. So I had no self-worth. Wow. So, you know, in my twenties, learning and reading and being open to A Course in Miracles and Marianne Williamson's work and Return to Love and just the metaphysics and all of that, you know, started to wake me up. And then, of course, John Bradshaw introduced me to inner child work through his work with families of dysfunction. Um, And then I began to see like, oh, well, there is this adult me is a bad girl, I felt like. But there was once a time, once upon a time, a little girl that was precious and pure and innocent. Mm -hmm. And she's still there. Yeah. She just wants to be free. Yeah. And so then I started relating with myself as a precious, pure, innocent child that, you know, you know, had experiences because let's face it, trauma Right. And and you're an expert at this, but I think you would agree with me. Trauma creates a warped psyche that's in survival mode. Yeah. But, you know, and I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I let go of that label because to me, a disorder is saying something's wrong with me. hundred mm, percent. I agree with right? you. Right. Yeah. Where, where, whereas, and I just adapted something happened to me and I had to learn to adapt to it. Now that took the shame away, right? Because I just adapted to survive, you know, it was just a coping mechanism. And, you know, my, um, my, I was blessed as a child to have a grandmother who was my inner resource. My resource for safety was Jesus and my grandmother. And I think that's really important. If someone listening is on a healing journey, you must have a resource. I mean, what I teach is spiritual psychology. Wow. Can you tell us about your book, Little um, Wise? Sorry. Can you tell us about the book, Wise Little One, Learning to Love and Listen to My Inner Child? Yes. So, you know, I wrote this book to share, as I said before, to inspire people to say, Hey, you know, we can, it's a prescriptive memoir, which means I do put, you know, some, there's about 11 little boxes at the end of chapters that give someone kind of a prescription to what they could do or to think about or a question. And, you know, it's really me arriving. It's a love story. It's it's a twofold love story because it's a love story of learning. You know, for so long I heard, oh, love yourself, love. Even Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. I've never been to a church where you learn how to love yourself. Though. <laughs> I usually teach you to be selfless, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So I, yeah. So I, I thought, you know, for 25 years, I kept thinking about this book. What would this book be about? And I knew it wasn't timing because I hadn't arrived in a place where I felt integrated, where I, where I felt healed, where I felt whole. 
And in 2015, I was at a meditation retreat. I've been a meditation teacher with the Chopra Center teaching primordial sound meditation. And I have always, you know, interested in doing retreats and taking it deeper. And so for a couple of days, I'm going really deep about six hours a day at this meditation retreat. I keep hearing leave, leave. I think, well, this is why I meditate. Listen to the inner voice, right? I I leave the next day, I get on a plane that I was not supposed to be on for four more days. And I sit next to my now current husband. Wow. Wow. So I'm 49 years old and I've been terrorizing myself. Like I'm never going to meet anybody and I'm going to be alone like my mother. And, you know, I'd left this marriage. It took so much courage to leave the marriage that was unhealthy. I wasn't in love with him. And then, you know, I get on the plane. I've been single for about two and a half years at that point. And I kept hearing spirit say, just, you know, fall in love with yourself. I'm like, okay, what does that look like? So I began to talk to little Jana and, and put pictures of myself everywhere on my phone, you know, everywhere. And I just began to have a relationship as if I had a little girl. And I'd ask her things, you know, what do you want to eat today? Where do you want to go? What do you, you know, how are you feeling? Like, what am I doing that's upsetting you? I began to really have an intimate relationship with my feelings, a.k.a. little Jana. Aww. Wise little one. Mm-hmm. I love and, that. Yeah. And so that's all our feeling self is, right, is the inner child. And so the more I listened to even like I, girls, little things like, like, just really leaning into yucky or yummy. It's like she would let me know immediately. Ooh, no, <laughs> or yeah. <laughs> this feels yummy. Yeah, let's do it. Ooh, that's yucky. No, you know. <laughs> so I kept it simple. And the more I did that, the more bonded I felt. And one day, the night that I leave that retreat, I'm sitting in a restaurant and I have a mystical experience where I feel, you know, I'm looking around the 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 restaurant thinking why has everybody got a partner but me Hmm. and of course I'm very tuned into the thinking because I've been meditating so much and then boom little Jana appears across the table it was like she was in 3d and she begins to you know just show me through her eyes it was almost like I went into her body and she began to show me wise little one, the story I wrote that whole, like, here's your life and look at where we are today. Like we're in, it's Carmel, California. It's kind of like, it's just one of these most quintessential, beautiful Hansel and Gretel type little villages, like forest meets ocean. Wow. Wow. And she's so happy, you know, like I'm so happy there, you know, I'm just like, I have arrived at a place in my life that is so far from my family of origin. Mm. And I have, you know, traveled and experienced life and I created this. It's like she was showing me like, look at you. You're a badass. You don't need anybody to complete you. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. And, I- oh, and then I, you know, it's that Rumi po- poem like or Hafiz, by God, when you see the beauty of yourself, mm. you'll fall down in awe. And that's what I felt. I just fell down in awe to my adult self. Like the little girl in me was just like, 
I am so proud of you. I am so inspired by you. And that love is the deepest, satisfying, most complete love I've ever experienced. Wow. Wow. And it stayed with me, you know, it, and, and so I thought, I don't want to lose this. I, I can't lose this. There's nothing more important than this. And I, that's what, when I made the commitment to just deepening my connection to the wise little one. And then of course I get on a plane, I meet my future husband and, you know, it's, so it's a love story between how I, you know, finally integrated all my broken trauma and all my false beliefs about myself to arriving to this place and the beyond the middle of my life, you know, almost 50 years old and, and, you know, arriving, okay, I've, I'm here, I've arrived. And then realizing I had always arrived in this present moment. I just kept looking outside. And as soon as I stopped looking outside and really looked at what a beautiful human being and soul I am and loved her, then the outside showed up. Mm. That's so true. I, I totally understand what you're saying, because that's how it kind of slightly different for me but I did a lot of like ancestral cultural society trauma I peeled off all those layers to come back home to myself then it was about loving myself and holding boundaries and then it was meeting my inner child and I remember when I started to meet her and I'd be like what do you want and she'd be like I want to go play and I want to go in the swings I'm like okay let's go so like what you said like I I never did the whole yucky thing or yummy thing I love that though by the way um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so cute um but yeah I would just talk to her and ask her what she needs what what you know what does she what does she need right now how is she feeling and the more I did that the more she felt at peace and I thought wow yes, yes. that is the key that a lot of people are missing is the inner peace you know we can have so much in in the world but if we don't have inner peace and love our inner child we will never be truly free Exactly, because peace is an emotion. So if we're saying that the inner child is an emotion, it is your emotional self. Why? Because when we were born for those first seven years, all we looked through was the lens of emotion. The brain's not developed. We don't have the structures of, of an adult, an intellect, you know, the ability to rationalize and understand mom is angry, you know, today, not at me, but her and dad had a fight. Like we don't know. We, we're just emotion. So as we get older, we become adult children when we're disconnected from our emotional self. So somebody cuts me off in traffic. I have road rage. That is the wounded child behaving, acting out, right? So when we can make peace, as you were saying, and come back home to ourselves, to our heart, to our innermost feelings, our deepest self, and, you know, that connect with it, then the emotions that arise are very high frequency, right? Peace, gratitude, appreciation, um, just, you know, bliss. A children have a sense of wonder. You know, Jesus said, become like children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's who we are. That's, we just forget who that, that is. We, we allow society to tell us how to be and act and think and behave. And then we lose that side, but that creativity, that inner child is, is, is part of us. And we need to allow that to be free in order to really feel a deeper connection with ourselves. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, I think many people are raised sometimes in families that they're emotionally cut off and it's hard for them, you know, to connect with their inner child. It's so abstract 
And I would say to those people, if there's anyone listening that have had that, that, you know, just a sincere intent, it can be very subtle, but just a subtle intent that, that I want to connect with my emotions because so many people disassociate and live in their head. And this is one of the ways we orphan that child. We abandon them is living in our head because our feeling self is not in the head. It is in the body, as you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like whenever we're not happy with something, our body will tell us and then our mind will tell us after. But our body always knows. Yeah. It gives us the answers. (laughs) Always. I started in 2008 with the HeartMath Institute in California, and they've done all this wonderful research about the electromagnetic field of the heart and how many ascending neurons go to the brain from the heart. The heart is 5,000 times stronger than than the brain, the field of energy. The cranium only emits about an inch of energy, where the heart emits about three to five feet from the body. So that's why we get around people and we're like, oh, they have bad energy. We can feel it. Yeah, It affects (laughs) plants, it affects dogs, it affects the field all around us. So that our body is intelligent. And when we learn to source our heart, Right, really fall, and our heart is that little girl, that little boy. Mm, yeah, we are coming um, towards the end of the show. What are your five top tips for someone who wants to live, listen to the inner child, but they don't really know where to start? Oh, I love this question. So, um, you know, my we were talking about before, like, how do you love yourself? Like, okay, you know, that's a big, big. So here's here's five ways to love yourself. First way, emotionally. Children, we just said, are emotional beings. Your inner child, you need to hear, you're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. Like things that you would have wished if you would have had the perfect parent or the perfect spouse or the perfect somebody that you're yearning to hear, like a words of affirmation, say it to yourself every day. Look in the mirror when you brush your teeth. It's a tiny habit. Hi, how are you? You know, I'm, you're doing a great job. Just whatever it, that comes forth, give yourself that emotional words of affirmation. Number two, spiritually, we can't grow and, and really evolve without a connection to the truth. And the truth is you are an individuation of God, of the creator. It's like Rumi said, you're not a drop in the ocean. You're the entire ocean in the drop. Mm. So we must start to identify with our divinity, not our humanity and our mind so much. When we can identify that we are souls, we are spiritual beings having a human experience that we are, you know, and we cultivate sadhana, spiritual practice, devotional practice, meditation, um, being in nature, you know, these practices that connect us to spirit, very important way to love ourselves. Third way is physically, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what are you eating? What are you ingesting? Your body, you know, is they say we are what we eat and we are. If we're taking in toxicity and lots of, you know, alcohol or drugs or, you know, I mean, that's polluting our body. That's unloving behavior mm-hmm. and moving our body. Children, you know, if you're a good parent, you're not going to let your child sit and eat bonbons all day and sit on the couch and watch cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, that's, it's pretty obvious. That's not good parenting. So to parent ourselves and love ourselves, we've got to move our body 
get the endorphins going. You know, it's really good for mental health. That's the third way. Fourth way is financially. You know, children thrive in environments where the house is in order, right? Like things are taken care of. We're not worried if the bills can be paid or, you know, we have to take care of ourselves financially and be good stewards over our money and and discipline and saving and getting out of debt. And that creates safety for us. So that's another way we love ourselves. The fifth way is organizationally. Um, organizationally, meaning like, you know, again, we, we thrive in environments where things are organized, picked up, there's order. And then I'm going to give you a bonus. Can I, Gerds? Yeah, sure. Go for it. <laughs> okay. And I would say the sixth way we love ourselves is through the mirror of relationship. If you are listening to this right now and you're in a relationship where someone who's abusing you or disrespecting you or emotionally unavailable, it is a mirror. And that mirror is it's reflecting back to you what you're doing to yourself, because I promise you, nobody who values and loves themselves would be with somebody who doesn't. Mm. So we can't control those people, but we can control ourselves. And so if we look at our relationships, they will reflect back to us whether or not we're in integrity with loving our inner child and ourselves. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing those. And my last question is, what are you most grateful for? Oh my gosh, my, um, it's so much, but the first thing that popped in my head is my daughter's pregnant with my second grandchild. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm so grateful for my, you know, I, I broke a cycle girds. I, you know, you did too. I mean, I, I raised a child that is emotionally intelligent that, you know, she has a beautiful husband who respects her and loves her because she respects and values and loves herself. And she, she, ha- I have a grandson who is emotionally intelligent. He doesn't do tantrums. He communicates his feelings. And so I'm so grateful for that, that I, I did the work that was necessary to break the cycle of dysfunction in my family. Oh, I'm so grateful for you just for being yourself and sharing your wisdom with everyone and and having having the the power to say you know what I'm done with my surroundings and I'm ready to trust from within mm-hmm. thank you I appreciate that you're welcome oh my god I absolutely love this episode with Jenna it's so important to love your inner child and allow her to receive the medicine that she's here to share and I think women sometimes don't realize the power of loving ourselves is linked to loving our inner child. When we love our inner child, we set ourselves free. When we love our inner child, we allow her to become the empowered version that she was here to be. Unfortunately, that's the end of the show. Before I leave, I want to leave you with this quote. The wound is not my fault, but the healing is my responsibility. That's a quote by Marion Williamson. Take care, my sisters. For more information about the show or how to trust your inner light, visit my new coaching program at girdshandle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.